You're listening to the RUF at Western Carolina University podcast. RUF is a campus ministry that exists to reach students for Christ and to equip them to serve Christ, His church, and His world. For more information, follow us on Instagram. We're at RUFATWCU or look us up online at www.ruf.org. Thanks for listening. All right, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Um, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and chapter 1 is the first chapter, so it's probably page 1 or in that neighborhood in your Bible, uh, if you're not very familiar with it, which is okay. Uh, also, the words will be on the screen behind me uh, tonight because it's a longer passage, and we want you guys to be able to follow along. Uh, we're looking this semester at uh, Genesis 1 through 12, which is... Like, you could call it the introduction to the Bible. Uh, And one of the cool things about this passage of Scripture uh, and about just that's interesting about the Bible in general is there's really not a major thing we believe, things Christians believe, or a major doctrine or a major theme of the Bible that's not at least introduced in these first 12 chapters. I mean, you talk about, like, what do we believe about God? Well, it starts talking about him on page one. What do we believe about what's gone wrong with the world? It starts talking about that in chapter 3. What do we believe about God's plan to fix the world? What are humans for? Uh, What is culture for? What is the church? Like all of these questions, they get introduced, and and the answer shows up at the beginning of Genesis. And so what we're going to do this semester is we're going to see the introduction to a lot of these questions and answers And week after week, we're kind of going to follow the thread and tease it out through the rest of Scripture. So in looking at Genesis 1 through 12, we're going to be looking at a lot of uh, different passages in the Bible this semester because it's all connected in this really cool, really interesting way. Um, And and the passage that we're looking at this morning uh, is probably, or this evening, um, is probably really familiar to you. uh, But I think it's worth slowing down uh, and reading and taking our time with. Um, Yeah, it's Genesis 1 uh, through 2, verse 3. Uh, I'm going to read it for us. It'll take a minute, uh, and then we'll pray. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation. Plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. 
And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, we call that the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, we call that the moon, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray, and we'll talk about that for a few minutes. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that it reveals to us about who you are, who we are, and what you've done to bring us back to yourself. Father, as we look uh, this evening at this question of who you are, so clearly shown in Genesis 1, I pray that uh, you would help us to see you uh, as you are, as you reveal yourself Uh, that we would know you, and that that would bring us comfort and rest. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Sorry, the reading was so long that my iPad turned off. Um, Okay, when we come to Genesis 1 and the story of creation, uh, it's really easy for us to get fixated on the when and the how and the how long of creation, right? And maybe that's like some of you could geek out about that for an hour, right? Is this six literal 24-hour days or are these six really, really long days? Is this really the order that everything was created in or is it like a thematic structuring and categorizing of all things? Or maybe you just want to know where the dinosaurs fit into this, right? Which day are the dinosaurs and why aren't they here anymore? 
Um, I would love to talk with you about that sometime. I don't know the answers to all of those questions. Um, I have some thoughts, and we can talk about that some other time. But what I want to do tonight is not focus on the how long ago or the when or the in what order, but the who of creation. Because I think that's what Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, wants us to see, because that's what he wanted the Israelites to see. Moses is writing this book of Genesis to Israel as they are journeying through the wilderness, having left captivity in Egypt and heading to the promised land. And their question is, who is this God who has rescued us? What is he like? What does he want from us? And this opening chapter of the Bible shines a spotlight on the God of creation. So what I want to do is look at three uh, things that this chapter shows us about our God, and then a couple implications that that has for our life. So first, what does this show about the character of our God? Uh, Well, first, uh, the first thing that came to mind, and maybe this is because I'm an engineer, uh, is that this shows us that God has a plan, right? That he acts with intentionality, that he likes order. And bear with me while I explain this for just a second. If you look at verse (coughs) 2, Moses tells us that the earth was without form and void, right? It was shapeless and empty. It was chaotic, and there wasn't anything there. And what the rest of Genesis chapter 1 does, what God does in that chapter, is over the next six days, he creates space for life, and then he fills it with life, right? So he takes this earth that is without form and without stuff, and he gives it shape, and he fills it with things. In day one, he separates the light from the dark, right? And he calls it day and night. In day two, it's a little bit confusing. Uh, in the Hebrew, like, understanding of how the world worked, um, the, the sky was like this dome, uh, and there was water above the sky. So, like, you can see all the planets and stars. There's, like, in the Hebrew understanding, there's water above that, and then there's water under the earth as well, right? And so what day two describes is God, like, sticking his hands in the waters and pushing them apart to make space for the sky, for the heavens, Right, but he makes this space. And then on day three, he takes the waters that are under the earth, right, the ones that are like not above the heavens but underneath the earth, and he gathers them together in sea and creates space, creates islands, creates continents, and fills them full of plants. In these first three days, he makes space for things. He gives form to this formless creation. And then in the next three days, he fills up that space with stuff, Right? It's formless and void, and he gives it shape and content. Day one, he makes space for light and dark, and day four, he fills it with the sun and the moon and the stars. On day two, he separates the sky from the sea, and on day five, he fills those things with birds and fish. Right? And he tells them, be fruitful and multiply. Like, I like all this stuff. Make more of it. Right? Keep filling up the oceans with fish. Keep filling up the sky with birds. On day three, God separated out the land, and on day six, he fills it with life, right? Farm animals and bugs and lions and hyenas and duck-billed platypi and us, right? He makes man and woman, and he sets them in this new creation, and he tells them, be fruitful and multiply, right? Keep filling up this space that I have created for you. We're going to talk about uh, the creation of mankind more specifically next week, but But notice for now that that God bestows this great honor on mankind. And he says, you are to have dominion over this world. They're to rule and care and cultivate. 
not to dominate or to exploit, but to shepherd and nurture the world. All of this creation that God does doesn't happen by chance or accident, but by design. Our God is a God who makes plans and he sees them through. But Genesis 1 also shows us that God enjoys beauty, right? Probably more of you can identify with this one. Like most of you aren't excited. It was like God likes order and he has a plan. That's great. More of you are probably excited by the fact that our God enjoys beauty, right? That he loves beautiful things and that he's creative. This is the refrain all throughout Genesis 1 that you heard. And God saw that it was good. Over and over, as God brings order and life, he steps back and he surveys what he's made and he says, I like this. This is pretty cool. There's a satisfaction and appreciation for what he's done. And and I think that we get a similar feeling when we kind of bring order to chaos about something in our world. Right? We're made in God's image, and so it makes sense that we might reflect him in this way. Um, on Saturday, a bunch of you came over to my house for a cookout. Uh, I did a lot of yard work to get ready for that. Um, I mowed the yard on Friday afternoon because it was really long, and I actually mowed it twice on Friday afternoon because like, I mowed it one way, and then I had to mow it the other way to get all the grass even. And then I mowed it again Saturday morning to chop up all those grass clippings and leave them to bake in the sun. And while that was happening, I got out the weed whacker, and I edged around the kids' playground and around the garden plot in the front. And then I put the grass catcher on the mower and mowed again to vacuum up all of the grass clippings, right? I put in a lot of work. And at the end of it, once all the grass clippings were emptied and the mower was parked back in the garage and I'm like covered in dirt and dust and, and filthy with sweat, like I got out and I stood at the top of the driveway and I looked over my yard and I was like, this is good. This is really good. And maybe you have that similar feeling like when you bring order to chaos. Like I bet there's somebody in here who feels that way when you do laundry. Right? Like you take this pile of stinky chaos and by the end of it, like it's all folded and in drawers and it's hung in your closet and you slide the closet door closed and you're like, okay, like order and satisfaction and a job well done. Maybe you know how to build stuff. And like when you finish a project and you look at it, you're like, there's this pride and that I made that. Or maybe you're an artist of some kind, and when like the last notes of a melody are hanging in the air, or you put the final brush stroke on a canvas, or, or finish whatever you're working on, there's this sense of like, I, I have made something where there was nothing, right? I've created, I've brought order to this, and there's just like this beauty of satisfaction in it. That's what God is doing here over everything as he creates it. He's looking out and he's giving this exhale of like, contentment and satisfaction. It's like, yes, this, this is good. Over and over and over. This is good. I love that, that this is in the Bible about God, right? Because we just as easily could have had Genesis 1 without the refrain that this is good, right? It could have just told us that God made everything and gone through the list. Uh, because one of the things that can happen to us in the Christian life is we can start to think that all God really cares about is the spiritual Right? Like, all he's interested is, is our soul and the condition of our hearts. And that's true. Like, he is interested in those things. Uh, but to quote C.S. Lewis, God loves matter. Right? He created it. He made it. He thinks it's pretty cool. And so when you are, are here and enjoying God's creation, right, we live in a beautiful place. 
when you're on the parkway and you watch a sunset, or when you're like camping down by the river and you wake up and you like just the smells and the, the mist hanging over the river and you look and you say, man, this is good, this is beautiful, like I like this. You are viewing creation the way that God does. He looks at it and he says, this is good. He looks at our bodies. He looks at, at food. He looks at creation. He looks at animals. He looks at our, our pets and the sky and the sun and the moon and sunsets and says, all of it is good. And we get to enjoy and image God as we look at his creation as well and say, this is really cool. This is really good. I love that God's, God's love of beauty and his love of order come together. Right? Because most of the time we think those are opposite. Right? Either we're structured people or we're creative people. But God is both. Right? He creates this incredible diversity and splendor with incredible order and purpose. So Genesis 1 shows us that God is, is, he has a plan, that he loves beauty, and that he's powerful. And we see this just in the way that he creates everything. Simply by speaking. Right? Um, we have a puppy. And I'm trying to train that puppy to do things like, come, when I call her. And she doesn't, and it's incredibly frustrating. Like, my words have some power. Like, I have the power to, like, hurt people's feelings and to build people up and all all that. But, like, I don't have the power in my voice to make a three-month-old dog come to me. Right? But not so with God. When he speaks, things happen. Right? He, he said he doesn't have to, there's no sense of him rolling up his sleeves and like, all right, let's get busy making light. He just says, light, and it's there. Right? Over and over, Genesis 1 says, and it was so. There's no like behind the scenes magic going on. There's no like God really buckling down and getting to work. He just speaks and it happens. Right? This is the God that Moses wants us to see. Powerful, a lover of beauty and a God with a plan. And there's so much more that we could talk about with the character of God here, right? His love of diversity. Have you ever thought about that? Why make so many different kinds of beetles or trees or flowers, right? Why not just one of each thing? But instead, God's like, here, explore. Look how creative I am. See if you can find them all, right? Um, We could talk about God's generosity, that the world is full and abundant, right? He tells the man and the woman and, and all of the creatures that he's made that, like, all of the plants are for you to eat. And there's enough, there's plenty to go around. And there's so much application we could draw from this. The fact that God is, uh, that he, he has a plan, that he loves beauty and that he's powerful. But I want to look quickly at two things. I recognize that it's like eight till nine and I want to speed us along. Um, I just want to look at two things, Okay. First, okay, God created all things, so what? Okay, the rest of the Bible kind of highlights two things about the fact that our God is the creator. First, this teaching about God being the creator should bring comfort to those that belong to God. Comfort for the journey. Uh, If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 121. Uh, Psalm 121 is what's called a Psalm of Ascents. Uh, Every year, the Jewish people would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, uh, and they would would walk from wherever they lived to Jerusalem, which was on a small mountain, uh, and it was really predictable because it happened the same time every year, and people would be traveling with money because they were going to make offerings and sacrifices. They would be traveling with their families, and I don't know if you've ever tried to travel with a toddler, but you have to stop a lot because they get distracted and fussy and have to go to the bathroom all the time. 
Uh, and so you've got all of these people moving through the desert slowly and predictably, which attracts robbers and other vagrants, right? And there's, you're traveling through the desert. There's wild animals. And so you've got all of these people on their way to Jerusalem, and the Psalms of Ascent are songs that they would sing on this journey. Psalm 121 is the second one of these, and it starts off like this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Right, so you can picture them setting out on the journey and looking up to Jerusalem in the distance and saying like, okay, that's where I'm headed. How am I gonna get there with these animals and this money and these kids dragging me down? Like, how are we gonna make it through all the dangers that are ahead? Verse two, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There are a lot of different things the psalmist could have said there, right? My help comes from the Lord, the God who sees, right? The Bible says that about God. My help comes from the Lord, a great king above all gods. The Bible says that about God. It's true. My help comes from the Lord who brought his people out of the house of slavery. The Bible says that about God a lot. But here, what brings the psalmist comfort in the moment, considering the journey ahead, is that his God made the hills that he's about to walk on. Right? And if God made the hills, then it seems reasonable to assume that he can keep them safe on the way. So we see that, that the doctrine of creation and the fact that God has created all things gives comfort to his people on their journey. But we also see this used in the book of Job as well. The book of Job is a story of a man who goes through suffering and he doesn't know why. And towards the end of the book, as he's wrestling with like, What's going on? Why is this all happening? God, why have you put me through this? Uh, he eventually comes to God with those questions, and God shows up and answers. And what God does is he starts to ask him questions. He's like, Job, you want to know about your suffering? Um, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, do you control the lightning? Job, do you care for mountain goats and ostriches? It's there in Job 39. God asked Job about ostriches. Uh, did you give horses their strength? In other words, God looks at Job and he says, Job, I made all of this. I sustain all of this. Don't you think I know what I'm doing when it comes to you? Like, Job, won't you trust me? I'm the creator. Won't you trust me in the midst of your suffering? We also see creation used as a comfort in the book of Acts in the early church. Uh, the disciples, as they're going out and fulfilling the mission that Jesus gives them to, to make disciples of all the nations, uh, they faced opposition. People that didn't want the message of Jesus to go out, uh, people that didn't want the disruption that came with it. The disciples were beaten and imprisoned and scorned and intimidated and all of these things. Uh, and in chapter 4, after they're let out of prison for who knows what time, uh, they come together and they pray. And here's what they pray. They say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. The disciples facing persecution and opposition cite God as the creator, as the source of their boldness to continue to proclaim his good name. And I think for us, we can enjoy that same comfort, right? Here at the outset of the semester, maybe you feel like the psalmist of Psalm 121. You feel overwhelmed, right? You lift your eyes up to the semester and you say, where does my help come from? 
Maybe your classes look like they're going to take a lot more time than you have in a week. Right? Maybe you're wondering how you're going to juggle homework and a job and like maybe have time for friendships. If you're new at Western, it could be that you're terrified about whether or not you'll find your people or community. Or maybe you've watched older siblings or friends go off to college and struggle either in their faith or academically and just not make it. And, and you're kind of wondering, like, is that going to happen to me? Maybe the journey feels too hard. Or maybe you're like Job, going through some difficulty or trial or suffering, and you don't know why, right? It could be the health of a family member, it could be a relationship, struggles at home. I mean, maybe for some of you, like being here itself is a struggle, right? Maybe Western wasn't your first choice, but your first choice didn't want you. Or maybe Western wasn't your first choice and your first choice did want you, but they weren't going to give you the money that you needed. And so like you're here and you're kind of upset about it, right? The difficulty might seem pointless. Or maybe you're like the disciples in Acts, feeling opposition because of your faith. You've been to your first couple of classes, and you've realized that your professor doesn't understand your faith or respect it, or maybe they're just like actually hate it and they're antagonistic towards it. Maybe you're, you're getting the sense that like the temptations of college life and life on your own feel specifically targeted to where you feel the most vulnerable, and you're wondering, how will I make it? Whether the journey looks too hard, or the difficulty is too confusing and seems senseless, or the opposition seems too strong, if you're a believer tonight, you can take comfort in the fact that your God is the God of creation. He's powerful. No opposition is too great for him. He has a plan. What you're going through is not pointless. And what he creates is beautiful. Right? If you knew everything that God did about your situation, you would look and say, yes, th that's beautiful. This is good. This is worth it. It doesn't magically make our struggles easy, right? We don't automatically then say, it's like, oh, my God's the God of creation. I can like, be really happy when I'm oppressed all the time. No, it's still difficult, but we take comfort in the character of our God, who is on purpose creating something beautiful in us. And we can trust that even in what feels like the valley of shadow of death, our God, the creator, our shepherd, is with us. That's the first so what of creation, right? Our God made everything. Therefore, we can take comfort in the fact that he is able to get us through life in this world, as confusing and uncertain and questionable as it is. Second application, quickly, is rest. Uh, listen again to chapter 2. Just verses 2 and 3. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. Actually, I'll just stop there. That's plenty. God finished the work that he had done, and he rested. I love this. God rested. Right? Over and over through, through these two verses. It's like, it's like Moses has a tick, and he just can't stop repeating. He rested from all the work that he's done. He rested from all the work that he's done. He rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Right? And, and there's still work to be done. Right? The earth isn't full. Remember, he told the creatures and mankind, be fruitful and multiply. We'll see next week that part of Adam and Eve's job is to spread the beauty of Eden over the whole world. There's more to be done, but God rested. And this principle of rest gets woven into what it means to follow God. 
And I love that, again, that Moses is writing this to people who used to be slaves in Egypt, who didn't know what rest was. And Moses tells them, your God is one who rests and who invites you into that rest as well. When Moses is giving the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, Commandment 4 is about the Sabbath, a day of rest, where God commands his people to stop one day a week and rest in him. And the reason that's given is not because like, they, need, they need to rest so that they can work better the other six days. No, the reason that's given for that command is that God himself rested. Right? It's not like God makes mankind on day six and says, finally, I've got these people who can do work and I can just rest. Right? Like every once in a while, I joke about that with my kids when, like, when I ask them to do a chore and they're like, I don't want to do that. I'll be like, what did we have kids for then if I still have to do all this laundry? And they think it's hilarious because um, my kids know I love them. God's not like that, right? Like he didn't make us so that he could kick back, right? He made us rested and says, come and rest with me. Right? There's this open-endedness to the seventh day, right? Did you notice that? Every other day of creation finishes with there was morning and there was evening, the fifth day or the third day or the second day, but not with the seventh, right? There's this open-endedness to it. God rests the end, right? And then we go and zoom in on the creation of man. There's no close to the day. The author of Hebrews picks up on that. He observes that, and he says in chapter 4, like, this Sabbath rest is still open for us, and he invites us into it. And nowhere do we see and feel this rest more than in salvation itself, right? Because God is, is resting from his works, and he invites us to rest, but we are so busy, right? We, we so often picture the Christian life as one where we need to go out and be busy for God. And we kind of base how we're doing in our Christian life on how busy we feel, right? Have I done enough this week? Or I did a lot this week, right? I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about my Christian life. What I want you to see tonight is that what we're invited to is rest. Because the same God who accomplishes his purposes in creation is the God who accomplishes his purposes in salvation, right? He has a plan, and he is powerful to achieve it, and it is beautiful. That's what Paul writes about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. He says, Jesus is the one through whom the whole world was created, and he's the one who has reconciled all things to himself. I mean, so close are these activities of creation and salvation that the Bible often describes the two together, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is saved, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. In Psalm 51, David's song of repentance, he prays, God, create, make in me a clean heart, a heart that's saved, a heart that feels. And Jesus, when he's talking to Nicodemus, says that becoming a follower of him is most like being born, being created a second time. The comfort that we can enjoy because our God is the creator carries over into the rest that we can know because Christ is our redeemer. He's done it all and he invites us, whether for the first time or the thousandth time, to receive from him this gift of rest. So I want to ask you tonight, if you're not a believer, do you feel overwhelmed and busy? Right? Do you feel like you're never enough, like you're never doing enough, that as, as much as you try, it's always too little? 
I invite you to come and know the Jesus who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or if you're a Christian tonight, and your life is characterized by this feeling of I'm not doing enough, I want to invite you to consider coming and meeting the Jesus who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to know the God that the psalmist says he gives to his beloved sleep. Our God is a God of rest, and if there's no rest in your Christian walk, I would invite you to consider if you've missed something. Because what our God calls us to is not activity and not busyness, but to himself. And our God is one who rests and gives that rest as a good gift to his people. This is our God. This is who Moses introduces us to. This is the main character of the Bible. And this is who this semester we're going to see teasing out and working out his plans and his purposes and making things beautiful for his people. Uh, So as we go along this semester, remember that we serve and we follow a God who is powerful, who has a plan, and that plan is beautiful because it comes to its fullest fruition in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.